We've covered several different one another commands as we have seen them throughout the New Testament. We've done love one another, which we've kind of identified as an overarching command. That most of these other commands actually support and better understand that love is kind of a summary of all these other one another's. That love one another doesn't just mean have warm fuzzies for one another. It doesn't mean like this weird ambiguous thing that these other one another's actually tell us what loving one another like Jesus loves us looks like. And so this week we're going to cover one that does not have a whole lot of different references. So that should be a, a bonus for some of us. You can write these down and we can look at them. This week we are going to talk about the command to bear with one another. Not be bears, but bear with one another, okay? This is not a phrase that we use except for when we're talking and we know we're not being clear. Or it's going to take a long time to get to a point. So bear with me is kind of the only time we use the word bear uh, in this sense. We use the word bear for many other things, uh, but we do not use it in the sense that we are seeing in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, actually uh, this theme of bearing and then our second one today of forgiving follows uh, later in the chapter as well. But in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the, in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So what is Paul talking about when he says, this is one of the things I really want you guys to focus on, is bearing with one another. I did a little word study, which is not always all that helpful, and uh, sometimes it is helpful. What's really fun, though, is that you get this nice little sense throughout the use of the word that is translated to bear with one another. It has the sense of enduring. It has the idea of uh, going through and suffering, but continuing to move forward. Uh, in Scripture, the use uh, of this word translated as endure is only utilized once or twice to be understood as endure. It says in um, 1 Corinthians 4.12, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. It's the same word. We bear. We bear with it. When we're persecuted, we bear with it. Okay? Um, and then in 2 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, uh, it says, uh, about your perseverance and faith everyone has heard of in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring, all of the hardships that you are bearing or pushing through and continuing to move forward in. So if it is not primarily used as the word endure and it is primarily translated as bear, what else can it possibly mean? This is my favorite. The Bible actually, at least in the version, many of the versions we we have, uh, it can sometimes be used endure, but it carries the sense of putting up with. Yeah, literally, like I'm gonna put up with this, which doesn't ever sound like a positive thing, right? I'm gonna put up. You know, we, we when we say that, 
we always are talking about it in a negative sense. So I guess I just have to put up with the fact that this person's always late. I'm going to have to put up with the fact that this person is always saying things that hurt me, right? We don't ever think of it as a positive thing. And neither is this word necessarily always used as a positive thing. Here's my favorite thing. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it all, it, uh, Paul uses this word uh, three different times in that chapter. Uh, and he says uh, in verse 1, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, put up with me. You know, just like deal with it. Like, come on, work with me here. In verse 4, uh, it said, uh, For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. And then uh, in chapter, in the same chapter in verse 20, in fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you. But here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. This word was used by Jesus and is uh, accounted in three different Gospels, all recording the same event, which means that this is more than likely what Jesus said. Now, granted, not in English. But in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and, and Luke 9, they bring to Jesus someone who is possessed by a demon whom they could not cast out and they don't know what is going on. And this is what Jesus says, almost word for word recorded in all three of those Gospels. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring them here. <laughs> all three, not all four, but... These three Gospels record this almost word for word as Jesus says, how long am I going to have to be here? How long do I have to put up with you people? And when, you know, when we look at the circumstances, we're kind of confused by that, right? Jesus was sent here, and Jesus cast out demons all the time. He had sent some people out, and they bring him some kid that's possessed, and he's like, well, we don't know what to do because we did everything you told us to. And Jesus' immediate response is, you wicked and perverse people. How long am I going to have to stay here? And how long do I have to put up with you? And then he performs this miracle. Now today's sermon is not about why Jesus had this reaction. I think if we were just realistic with ourselves, it's, a, it's kind of crazy to me that Jesus is only recorded saying that once. <laughs> because here he is, the perfect son of God, coming to the, the sin-filled earth so that we can kill him so that he can provide salvation for us i think that it would be a normal thing on a daily occurrence for me if i were in his shoes to say how long do i have to stay here and put up with this but this is behind the word of to bear now i think it is nice that in, in ephesians chapter 4 we've translated it to bear with one another in love but when we understand that Bearing means putting up with. Suddenly the command carries a little bit more of a connotation that we might not be so thrilled with. Because we always think of putting up with somebody as something that we shouldn't have to do. They're inconveniencing my life. I shouldn't have to put up with it. They said something that hurt me. I shouldn't have to put up with it. We are programmed to not put up with anything especially when it's people. And then, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you shouldn't have to put up with any other Christian because we should all be good, right? We should all be fine. 
So anytime a Christian does something that annoys us to death, we shouldn't have to put up with it. We should have the right to immediately come on top of them and tell them, hey, stop that. This is obnoxious. You shouldn't do this. But the command is clear in Scripture, and this is the step, I would say, before even needing to have an offer of forgiveness. This is a step a lot of us struggle to do. To endure with each other's weaknesses, inconsideracies of one another, or personalities. We don't like to endure them. We think we should not have to put up with them. We don't think we should have to tolerate. We are commanded in Scripture to bear with one another. In Colossians 3.13, this command is echoed again. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. I think this is probably one of the most awkward like sermon points I've ever had. Because Scripture tells you put up with each other. Deal with it. People are not going to be the people you want them to be, especially not all the time. I'm not. So hopefully, if for nothing else, you guys bear with me because I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to treat you as the most important person every Sunday you come. There will be times that I think I'm the most important Sunday when I, important person on the Sundays that I come. My opinions might irk you. You might not like my take on any number of things in the world. You might not even like my interpretation of verses. Can I have to put up with it? I might not like things about you. And all of us probably don't like everything about each other. I know that's a big news break here. We're not all the same. And neither are we called to be the same. God, in his wisdom, has for whatever reason, and sometimes we really question why he has brought every single person and every situation in our lives, but he has. And one of the main instructions that we need to keep in mind while things frustrate us, when things hurt us, when things just don't make sense, when people annoy us to death, is that we are to put up with each other. And not in the way that we often think of it. We sigh, roll our eyes, fold our arms, sit down, and say nothing. Not quite what they have in mind here. In both uh, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, it has a long list of characteristics around this command to bear with one another that helps us understand how putting up with each other actually works out because Jesus has put up with us, right? He's said, how long do I have to put up with these people? Well, he's put up with you. So we're supposed to put up for each other. We're going to see that echoed into the second part of this sermon as well. But in Ephesians 4, it says, Walk worthy of the calling you have received. One of the things that is a mark of you walking worthy of the calling that you received, the salvation that God has given to you, is that you put up with each other. And we put up with each other, how? In all humility and gentleness and patience. Why? Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, say that the reason is 
to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We put up with each other. Why? Because it is essential to filling the other command of living in harmony with one another. Because we can't expect everyone to sing in unison and be the exact same. We have an expectation that everyone's actually different. And part of the reason they're different is because God gave people different gifts, personalities, and goals for life. So you're going to have to bear with it. You're going to have to put up with it. In Colossians, a lot of this is also echoed. Put on compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. So we don't roll our eyes, huff, cross our arms, and sit down. Instead, we put on compassion for one another. We treat one another with kindness and in humility, recognizing that maybe something that I don't like in somebody else is actually a valuable thing for me to contemplate and to consider and to learn from. To be gentle, to not be overly harsh with one another. When maybe there needs to be some words said, maybe we should say it in gentleness, with patience, bearing, waiting for one another. This is the step that 1 Peter 4, I believe, is where you find the reference there. It says that love covers a multitude of sins. So someone might have offended you. Someone might have done you wrong. Someone might have said something rude. And maybe they didn't realize it, or maybe they meant it and want you to just be hurt. But there is always the option to bear with one another. To just say, you know, let me consider them. Let's think about it. Obviously, if it's a continuing problem, it's something that needs to be addressed. But does every single offense have to be addressed? Jesus didn't. I mean, he, I mean, he, he would have had to live longer than 33 years if he was going to address every single personal offense he ever suffered, right? We have to learn what it looks like to be gentle, kind, humble, and be patient, and bear with one another. This is something we should get better at. We'll get to what we shouldn't do, which is what we usually do in another week where I have a whole week at the end of this series dedicated to don't do this to one another. Just because there's a couple of them that exist that work with the other ones, but I thought it would be fun to have a whole sermon where it says, don't do this. (laughs) So instead, we're going to say, this is what we need to do. Learn to bear with one another, put up with each other in kindness, not out of frustration. But what happens when putting up with each other isn't enough? Which is why I think Colossians 3 verse 13 is so great. Because it says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. This is another part of what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling that you have received is you bear with one another, but then you also forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone else. The defining characteristic of Christians is their love for one another, and the defining characteristic of their love for one another is that they learn to treat each other as Jesus 
has treated us, that we bear with one another, we are long-suffering, we are patient with one another, and when someone has wronged us, we are willing to forgive one another as Jesus forgave us. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, this is a verse many of us learned in Sunday school or VBS when we were younger. It says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. There's a reason that teachers teach us these verses at a young age. It's not because only kids need to learn to be kind and compassionate and learn to forgive and ask for forgiveness. The reason teachers teach this to us at a young age is because this is literally the course of our entire life. Learn to be kind to one another. Learn to have compassion and consider someone else's circumstances, not from what you see from their circumstances, but to try and relate to their circumstances and then forgive each other. And why is the command to forgive each other there? Because we're going to hurt each other. We are going to offend each other. We are going to step on some toes. We are going to inflict personal pain on each other. Why? Well, the world is broken and so are we. And you're going to hear things wrong. People are going to say things wrong. It is the course of life. Imagine living your life without ever having the need to forgive someone else. Most of us think that that would be just wonderful. And in some ways it would be, but um, you all know, probably not, it's probably not that popular, but the monkey's paw story, you know, nobody's ringing a bell. She looked that up. It's a great short story. Uh, I won't spoil the ending because it looks like no, none of you ever read that. But it's a nice short story, uh, and... Uh, I think this is picked up in other places, but it's to be careful what you wish for because how things are fulfilled are not usually the way you envisioned it. Well, in the same way, if you consider a life without ever having the need to forgive someone else, the only way that that feasibly works in life under the sun is that you live all alone. Nobody is perfect enough to not need to ask you to forgive them. And hate to break it to you, you're not perfect enough that you don't need to ask somebody else to forgive you. We need to learn to bear with one another, which, if we do that well, might mean that we don't have to have 247 conversations every day about asking for forgiveness because not everything has to be addressed but when things do need to be addressed we address them with kindness and compassion and then we ask for forgiveness and we allow forgiveness to take place so the question is how does forgiveness work this is not something i can possibly cover in one sermon as a whole realm of biblical theology I'd like to take you back to Matthew 18 in order to walk through this parable of the unforgiving servant so that we understand what forgiveness actually entails. In Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, we see Jesus teaching a story because Peter asks him a question about how many times do I have to forgive my brother or my friend or my neighbor, you know, someone that I know who has hurt me. 
How many times do I have to forgive them? And he says seven, seven. And remembering that numbers have significance, Peter is saying like seven's a really great number. Like that's like the number of perfection. So like even if, we, and there's not 100% certainty, but three was a generally accepted number probably as like if someone says, you know, hurts you the same way three times, that's it. You do it a fourth time, you're out kind of a situation, uh, which a lot of us who like baseball are a huge fan of. Uh, however, uh, Peter even is stepping up his game and saying like, well, you know, I know Jesus. He said like, if you hate your brother, it's like you killed him. If you look at a woman and desire, you've already committed adultery. So I bet Jesus is not going to say three. So let's double at six. Well, then we're close to seven. So let's just say seven. And Jesus is like, I love that you understand that I'm going to raise the bar here. But let me tell you something. Seven's not it. Seventy times seven. And 70 is another number of completion it can be rendered as 77 or we as literal uh people here in the west look at it and say like oh jesus is talking about multiplication so it's 490 either way he's saying symbolically through those numbers there's never an end to the amount of times i expect you to forgive someone of the same offense there's no end to this command to forgive and so he demonstrates it in this parable it says the kingdom of heaven and and this is what this is this is this is why jesus says there's no end to the forgiveness that you're required to dish out he says because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven looks like this a king calls all of his people together who owe him money and there was this one guy who owed him ten thousand talents i did have a calculation don't have it on me right now but a talent is about 20 years of a salary Worked for 20 years, and that's talent, one, one talent. This guy owed him 10,000 20-year salaries. Now, the reason 10,000 is used, uh, generally speaking, that was the largest number that was used in calculations. So Jesus is just saying the, the most absurd amount of number, almost like an infinite amount of negative net worth this guy has to this one guy. So that guy calls him in. And it says, I need to pay you, you to pay me. And the guy falls on his knees, knowing that this guy is not able to pay. He's going to sell them into slavery to recoup a very minuscule amount of the money that is owed to him. He falls down and says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which we know is not even feasible. The guy couldn't pay 10000 times 20 years of his life. It was impossible. He owed way too much. And not just like a little bit too much. This isn't like, oh, maybe it's time to declare bankruptcy. Like there's no chance this guy's going to pay back all of it. And there's not any realistic chance based on how the story is told that he was going to pay back even more than he and his family were worth being sold into slavery. So this guy that... Is calling together all the people who owe him a ton of money. Says, you know what? I'll just forgive your debt. He takes a, a pencil or a pen, crosses it off. Guy owes you nothing anymore. Says, all right, there you go, you're free. The way the story goes is the guy leaves and immediately goes and finds somebody else that owes him money. And he owes him a hundred denarii which a denarii is one day's wage. Not a year, 
not 20 years, one day. He owed him about a week's paycheck. And he goes to him and says, I, oh, not, not one week, sorry, a hundred denarii. So, and he takes him and he sees him, he begins to choke him, he takes him by the throat with violence and says, pay you, pay what you owe me. So now that this guy is completely out of debt, he doesn't have to take the hundred denarii this guy owes him and give it to the guy that he owes an insane amount of money to. He gets to keep it. So he goes out and says, like, listen, now that I don't owe anything, I can start having a positive net worth. He goes to the guy that he lent money to, which who had business, he didn't have any business lending the money to in the first place. And so he's strangling the guy and his friend says, just give me some more time. I'll pay you back. And and he's like, nope, nothing doing. I'm going to put you in prison until you guys can pay me back my money. Well, other servants in the kingdom saw that that's how this guy was treating his friend who owed him a little bit of money in comparison to the great debt, this eternal debt this guy had. So you go back to the king, the master, who summoned everybody, and he calls back that first servant, and he says this in verse 32, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Guys, what are you doing? Like, I literally just let you... I, I wiped out your debt, which is an insane amount of money, and you leave and you start strangling people over a hundred denarii. Where did you miss the lesson? I had mercy on you. An insane amount of mercy for you. And you couldn't even take a small fraction of that mercy and apply it to your neighbor. He says, that's it. So he reinstates the debt. He takes his servant that owed him an absurd amount of money and threw him in jail until he could pay all of his debt because that is what that servant thought was just when his friend owed him a hundred denarii. In verse 35 so also my heavenly Father, bringing him back to the kingdom of heaven, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's great danger in being a Christian who is unwilling to forgive. It doesn't work. It makes zero sense. Like this story and that one servant makes no sense. Being a Christian who has been forgiven a eternal death sentence wiped out and in an exchange not just not having anything oh anymore you've now been given eternal life in the kingdom of heaven with all of your sin being removed and you can't forgive someone who said something unthoughtful you can't forget forgive someone who was selfish Your debt, if you are a believer, has been settled by the blood of Jesus, not by yours. And with such mercy being extended to you, how dare you and how dare I hesitate to forgive someone of some minor offense? Because if what we believe the Bible says is true, the creator of the universe was willing to have his son crucified to offer forgiveness to his enemies. 
that we as believers have no business having a limit on the amount of forgiveness we are willing to give to each other. That's what Peter and Jesus were talking about. Peter said, okay, so I got, understand you're going to raise the bar here, so let's do a perfect perfect thing. Seven, seven's great. Jesus is like, no, there's no end. Let me tell you why there's no end. Because if there were an end to forgiveness, at some point there would be no forgiveness left for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means that we should forgive one another. I have two things that I need us to contemplate and understand about forgiveness. We often talk about forgiving people and you know letting things go of past hurts. We have this picture of forgiveness from the prodigal son in which all of the relationship has been restored. And that is definitely how God treats us. That is definitely how forgiveness works. However, the concept of forgiveness, I believe, requires two things. Forgiveness requires admission of wrong. Someone has to say, I didn't do something right. It doesn't necessarily even have to be sin, you know, as we talk about relationship. Like, maybe there wasn't sin involved, but there was something that happened wrong. And someone needs to be humble enough to say, hey, I'm sorry I offended you. I didn't want to hurt you, and yet you were hurt. Or, you know, we could just be honest about some of the things, like, I was selfish, I was wrong, and it hurt you. But in some way, in order for forgiveness to even happen, someone has to admit that they were wrong. And so when someone does cause harm to you or to all of us and is unwilling to admit wrong at all, not say this thing was sin, but just not willing to admit that anything that they did caused anyone any pain or suffering, forgiveness as a whole cannot take place. The only option at that point is to just put up with it. And if sin is taking place, we cannot put up with sin. But this idea of being able to forgive someone who's never admitted that they were wrong and that somehow you're going to welcome them back into a family-like relationship with open arms is not actual forgiveness. Forgiveness results in reconciliation, but reconciliation cannot take place if someone who did something wrong is unwilling to admit it. This is how our sins are forgiven. This isn't just a practical way of working with one another. God has forgiven us our sins. Why? Because we asked him to in the salvation he has offered through Jesus. We admit that we are sinners, that we do not live life perfectly, and yet Jesus did. And that if God is offering for his life to take place over the credit of my life, I want you to forgive me. And God does. God will always forgive us if we confess, if we admit that we did wrong, God will always forgive us. And that is the picture for life for us. So in, in order for forgiveness to take place, someone has to admit that they did something wrong. The second thing that forgiveness requires is the willful choice to pardon the offender. It's not always helpful, not always desirable for us to say, like, yeah, you did something wrong. 
That's, the, that's like where we like to stop it. But when someone admits that they are wrong and asks for forgiveness, we are now put in the, the driver's seat of this situation, and we know what we are to do. We are to offer forgiveness, and forgiveness requires the willful choice to pardon the offender. Take away the hurt and pain uh, that you think they have to pay you back and strike it. Because they're never going to be able to pay you back. They're never going to make your hurt go away. They can't be nice enough long enough to wipe out the pain that they caused you. You are now in the driver's seat, just like this king was in the driver's seat, to say, look, you asked for forgiveness, I'm going to strike it. Now, we often think of this as like, oh, this means that I don't think about it ever again. And if only we were actually in control of everything we thought, life might be a little bit better. We will sometimes think about it, but just like this king who would think about the fact that he just let some guy off who owed him 10,000, 20-year salaries, he just let him go. We will still think about it. It still changes the dynamic of relationships. But we choose to not operate as though they owe us anything anymore. You can... Rightfully, I think, forgive people who have hurt you. Depending on the amount of hurt, you might have to set up new boundaries. Depending on what has taken place. And that doesn't mean you're not willing to forgive. But it does mean that you are seeking that this no longer be a situation for the relationship. Forgiveness requires the admission of wrong and then the willful choice to pardon the person who has admitted that they are wrong. The goal being that we learn as God has forgiven us that we can forgive each other. And in the end, in the kingdom, God will finally right all of the wrongs that have been done to you. The pain from all of them will be taken away. But for here and now, you have the choice to say, I will do my best to not treat you as though you owe me anything. Because I've been forgiven such a crazy amount of debt that even if we live together for the rest of our lives, like some of us who are married, you will never hurt me more than I have hurt God. And in the end, God will heal all of our pain. This leads us into the end of this week's message, is that in order for this to take place in churches, in families, in different communities, it requires there to be vulnerability. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we are instructed to carry one another's burdens. This is specifically, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, in any sin, those who are spiritual are to restore such a person with a gentle spirit, Watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This carrying one another's burden also carries that uh, language of bearing, helping one lift their burden. This is someone who has been caught in constant, continual wrongdoing. And although the rare wrongdoing is not your responsibility, you help shoulder the load. Why? You didn't do it. 
You're not responsible for it. Yet, a community where someone is able to have been vulnerable enough to know that they need help, we offer help. We bear each other's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ because that's what Jesus did for us. Our sin was not his to take, and yet he took all of it and took it to the cross. And in order for us to be a one-another type community with vulnerability, we have to be willing to confess our sins. Because forgiveness cannot take place unless we do confess our sins. In James chapter 5, and there's a little bit of uh, interpretation thing here, where whether this person is just physically sick or if they think that there might be more to it about this sickness or is it metaphoric about the fact that inside the body someone has been sinning. Either way, it is being said in James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. And then when they are instructed to pray, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much and then it will result in healing. We need to confess our sins to one another and ask for forgiveness. We need to forgive one another so that it results in healing and keeps the bond of peace and the unity of the Spirit so that we can work with one another. This requires us to understand the weaknesses of each other. I understand you're not perfect. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. I understand that some things in life are probably disproportionately hard for you than me. I understand that you have weaknesses. And instead of taking the approach of, let's see how much of your weaknesses I can exploit for my benefit, we say, where's your weakness? Let me help you. Let me shoulder some of that. But then we also need to humble ourselves enough that we are willing to admit our weaknesses, not just to ourselves, but to each other. We need to be able to say to each other, you know what I said? Boy, was that unthoughtful. I was rude. We need to also be able to say, I don't know if you intended this to be mean, but what you said hurt me. Because if we are going to be a Christian community that follows the commands of Scripture, we can start there with confessing to one another so that we can then give and receive forgiveness so that we can go back to just putting up with each other. (laughs) Because love covers a multitude of sin and wrongdoing. But we are going to do quite a bit of wrongdoing. We need to learn to forgive each other as well and to be humble enough to admit when we're wrong or when we have, we have been wronged. Vulnerability inside of a one another type community is necessary for all of us to partake in this command to bear with one another and forgive one another as Jesus has forgiven you. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We also thank you for your action that supports your word. But you don't ask us to do things you were unwilling to do. You first extend 
forgiveness to us and then tell us to forgive each other. You endured and bared and tolerate our weirdness and even some of our wrongdoing. You put up with it and you bear with it in order for us to continue to have a relationship with you and then ask us to do the same for each other. We pray that we would learn to do these things well as we try to model after Jesus. Help us to be reminded that Jesus has forgiven us when we are hurt by someone else so that when the time comes and if they admit they're wrong, we are willing to strike the pain from from our debt record. We pray that we would be people who would be quick to confess our own weaknesses and our own wrongdoings to each other and that this would be a place where forgiveness is given without limit. Not so that we can abuse one another, but so that we can show people the love that Jesus has for us. We pray that learning to bear with one another, to forgive one another, would change how we live. And that others would be able to see it. And through our actions of hurting and forgiving each other, they can see the love you have for them that you have sent in Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice and the guarantee of our forgiveness We pray that we would be willing to show that mercy to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.